All right. The the, the final. The, I, I don't even know how to how to start this episode. The, the, the penultimate. The final penultimate episode. Like I said, these are always my favorite episodes to cover. But this is probably the first one of these where I was really actively not looking forward to covering it for a lot of different reasons, Pat. I don't even have that much of an extended intro. What do you have to say before we get this started? Hey, listen, Dom. I think you and the Talking TV family that's talking thrones with us here tonight really wishes copyright wasn't a thing because we could totally be singing uh, Ring My Bell like all the time. Oh, like we could have, you know, an hour long episode making parody uh, music about this because, listen, that's all it's about. You know, oh, Tyrion, we got to ring Tyrion's bell. We have to that's, ring that's... ring all the bells, you know, all the bells exactly. and just then completely disregard them. So all of that and more on today's episode of the Talking TV Podcast. Oh, man, I'm already shot going into this episode. I'm already getting my terminology confused. I said this is an episode <laughs> of the Talking TV podcast, and it's Talking Thrones. People, this is our penultimate episode. This is the second-to-last ever episode of Talking Thrones, very similar to how this was the second-to-last episode of Game of Thrones. So, like I said, bouncing off of last week's very hamstrung and ham-fisted and kind of moshed well, together in a big, like, ball of Play-Doh episode. Dom, I have a question because, uh, you know, I was watching the intro, and, and at least for the video graphic that we have, um, for when we were basically uh, doing this to YouTube. Um, it says winter is coming, but I haven't seen a frame of winter since... Uh... Yeah, winter's kind of coming and <laughs> gone. It's a long night. It really was. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's... Everything is just super sunny here. You know, I, I feel like, you know, the Night King controlled the weather. Is there now only three yeah, seasons? I don't three know. seasons of Westeros? I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's like, because, I mean, we can assume that there have been other winters before, but those were all while the Night King was a thing, you know, because we can assume that he's just been... It's just one of those things that just constantly makes me think about, like, everything that... Because the Night King has been around for thousands of years since the first men, you know, but it constantly makes me think of, like, oh, man, what the... As far as the timeline of events, you know, before the Targaryens got to Westeros, it's like, what was the Night King doing when he was just sitting there? Like, what was it just, it was just he knew he couldn't figure out a way to get through the wall? Like, was that it, you know? But he... But yeah, maybe I, it was once he sensed that the dragons were coming back into the world, that's when he decided to make his move. Like, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, I guess it's fall gives way to spring, which gives way to summer uh, in the new Westeros. Like, uh, things have changed now that we uh, have off the Night King. Um, it, it, listen, um, here we are. We're at the episode. This is yes. the the epic that pretty much ends the uh the series, right? Yeah, you know, and as if, and as if the the negative reactions weren't already apparent enough. Like I said, things were already starting to not go in the show's favor when uh, what's it called? What, what, by the time we got to this episode, like I said, people had lost a lot of faith after again the darkness of the long night, and then Arya coming out of nowhere and killing the Night King. And they were like, okay, but you know, we still have Cersei. So the Night King arc is resolved, but we still have Cersei. Okay, we'll see how this goes. Then in the last episode, we have them going from this really awesome, amazing funeral sequence, this really great kind of, you know, kind of last hoorah that a lot of these characters are going to have together, to then just them 
falling over backwards as far as trying to make up for plot convenience after plot convenience in order to just, again, hamstring and thrust the characters into the positions where they need to be going into this episode. And it's and I think the thing that this episode has going against it the most is I think even more so than The Long Night. In fact, I would say much better than The Long Night. This episode is a fantastic hour of storytelling. Like, again, it, it is the thing that I have been dreading. Well, hour and a half, because, you know, this is one hour of and half, extended exactly. episodes. Yeah, yeah it, literally every oh, episode since The Long Night has been, and you feel every minute of it, at least for the last 20 minutes, I'd say. The first hour, I'd say, goes by pretty smoothly. It's that last 20 minutes where I'm like, okay, we're, we're, what are we going to get? What are we going to get this over with? We get it. The dragon's going to destroy the city and all that. How, about, how many how many people do we need to see Arya try and fail the same? Like, come on, we get it. And then she just magically rides out on a white horse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey, listen, listen. That, that white horse comes from a, a very specific movie universe and uh we'll get to it when we i, get I to have the end. no idea which one you're you're probably gonna have to yeah it's a little tease stay tuned to the end of the episode but, and but i'll, I'll reveal to you is, where i think that horse came from the point being is that i had some very conflicted thoughts coming out of this episode because it was one of those things where i was still trying to process just what it was that i was watching i i've talked about the fact that i'm like i feel like this ep this episode came at like a really weird time in my life mostly because i i kind of ended up in the hospital for a strange reason literally like a couple days after this episode aired so i often like kind of always I'm gonna have that like kind of inherent PTSD in my mind as far as like just the visceral reaction that my body gave to watching this episode because never before have I seen something that has left me so conflicted after watching where I'm like that was so breathtakingly amazing invigorating like you understood where it was going from start to finish like it was really well set up the action was amazingly well delivered the acting was unbelievable just as far as like kind of the, the the characters again having to act with solely facial expressions and very few words there's not a lot of dialogue in this episode but on the flip side of that just being like how they just utterly betrayed almost every single character that we see almost every single character that we see whose primary arcs are resolved in this episode suffers a betrayal a character a major major character betrayal that just so, seemingly undoes years of development where again daenerys again goes full-on berserk after being set up for supposedly a couple of episodes but really only just the last episode um what's it called Tyrion finally proves that he is just knows nothing ultimately uh, Jamie pr uh, ultimately tries and fails to save the one thing that after that he had seemingly finally said goodbye to. Um, wh wh where do I go? The, the Hound. We finally get the Clegane Bowl, but at this point, like, what does it even matter? <laughs> like, who cares? At yeah, this point, that, that should have happened in season seven. Them. Uh, yeah, to say the least. Um, what what else? Yeah. Uh, Arya all of a sudden cares about saving people now. Out of nowhere, like okay, like that—that's the thing because we just need to give her something to do. Um, John is literally to the point now where John is too scared to do anything to Daenerys. Like he doesn't love her, but he's still gonna fight for her. So John is just completely operating out of fear now. You know, like I mean, we'll, we'll get to John. John's role in this episode is kind of—I—I I think John gets a lot more credit than he deserves. And for me, probably strange enough, the biggest character development, which I feel like is kind of strange considering that I feel like before this season, people would have looked at me like I had three heads on. But now I think the surprisingly enough of all the characters who I feel like are portrayed in this episode, the one who gets the biggest portrayal is Cersei. Because after everything that we were talking about in the last episode, where again, Cersei has just committed the ultimate act. Cersei has set the stage. You know, Daenerys has given her every single opportunity, but Cersei's gone out of her way. She had Euron inexplicably kill one of her dragons, stupid as the moment was, it still accomplished what it needed to do, and then she killed Missandei right in front of, Dana right in front of uh, Daenerys, basically saying, look, 
We know what's about to happen. Let's do this. You know, like I said, like a like a big boss fight. But instead of Listen, it's uh, you know, Cersei is like a video game character. She's like Doctor Wily waiting in his palace, uh, watching as Mega Man goes through all the ro- robots. Um, the fact is, she she doesn't do anything. She just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Dragons blowing up the place. Crazy. Um, almost like every single character before this that was interacted with the dragons told me this is exactly what was going to happen, and yet somehow <laughs> yeah. I'm so surprised but it, that it does. Yeah, but it's 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 sort of maddening that you know she does this big gesture of killing Masande, right? And then she just you know sits there and just watches her reign fall apart. She does nothing. She tries nothing. You know she is nothing. <laughs> you know Literally. it's 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 basically uh, it, it amazes me. Yeah. Like why didn't and, she? And the saddest part is she doesn't even realize this herself. It has to be Kyburn. That tells her it's like the fleet is on fire. All the javelins have been destroyed. There's literally not, all our soldiers are being butchered. There's nothing else that we the golden company's gone. There's nothing we can do here. We're literally done. And it's like realizing that Cersei is finally now on again. It just completely undoes it because on top of everything that you just said, as far as it her being useless, it's just the fact that it makes her just dumb in hindsight. Like it really just makes her dumb. Like the the whole interest of why we were engaged in Cersei Lannister as a character, but what was the fact that again she had done all these things in order to again cre- create this wall between her and her family and the rest of the world? And then when that didn't work out, and then when the rest of the world got in and tore her down, she was able to use her intelligence and cunning to concoct this plan in order to essentially wipe all of her enemies out in one stroke and take the city by by uh what's and, and such to take the city by herself and then it was so amazing watching her as kind of like this evil big bad who we had all these years of development of getting to know right so she didn't just kind of come off as like another uh kind of extended psychopath antagonist like a joffrey or ramsey we had had all this time to get to know her and even though we obviously are rooting for daenerys more it was always kind of interesting seeing cersei outwit daenerys one minute after the next after the next and i think what's kind of the most confusing about the turn of events that happens in this episode specifically near the end is the fact that cersei is the fact that like i was talking about in last week's episode cersei this is technically exactly what she wanted. Cersei, again, in our minds, right? The, the intelligent Cersei listened to what Jamie said last season and is going based off her word, where she says, Look, if I had to choose between uh, surrendering and dying or fighting and dying, I'm going to go down swinging. Because, like we said, her whole goal since Daenerys first came to Westeros last season was that, again, show that Daenerys is the for make Daenerys out to be the foreign invader you know even though 100 percent, even though Cersei had already committed all of these despicable acts against her own people she still kind of had that edge and for the most part it was working and based off of all of Daenerys's actions in this episode Cersei wins Cersei gets the last laugh you know Daenerys ultimately proved that she is the foreign invader that has come to destroy the city that everybody was fearing that she was going to do and what I want to add to this is a little bit of uh, more fantasy booking we only have two more episodes where we uh, can definitely well, one do episode this. after this, but uh, but the beginning of this episode starts with uh, Varys, right? And he's yeah. writing he's writing letters about you know, oh hey, Daenerys is not the true heir. It's really uh, you know, Jon Snow who is actually you know um, direct descendant, and he's a Targaryen, and he's you know setting the ravens off across the realm, uh, presumably, right? He's right. the master of whispers, so he's spreading this around. Um, 
you know, what could save Cersei's character in this episode is, hey, Kyburn, you know, we just got this raven from Varys, you know, your children that you've usurped from Varys are, you know, a mainstay in King's Landing. Take this information, say it's directly from Varys and go spread it amongst King's Landing. And then jump cut to, you know, uh, Daenerys kind of takes the city and maybe she lands the dragon in, amongst the people and the people sort of do what they did to Cersei and like shame her with all the rotting vegetables and all that stuff. And, and really just how despicable the people of King's Landing are is right. really what pushes her over the edge to to really start burning it down. Um because now you have Cersei as, you know, taking an action in this episode. Yeah, you know, she hears about Varys being murdered. Uh, she leverages that to, like, turn all of King's Landing against Daenerys. You know, they're already against her, but, you know, they make them vicious. They make them want to pick up weapons and fight. You know, like, they're not any... They've been weaponized. They're right. no longer just passive innocents. In Daenerys's eyes... They are a threat. Um, and then you still sort of bounce the line of like her snapping versus her also legitimately thinking they're a threat. You know, like you didn't give us enough as an audience, I think, to to warrant the whole like she's the mad queen thing. Um, that's just speculation by, right. you know, I think some viewers. Um, it's, but and, and what's I, even worse is it's one of those things where it's like it's speculation by viewers that the writers then tried to co-opt and make it like oh character motivation where the characters are now trying to voice almost like the what, what, what the viewers have been speculating about for years and like oh we always cheered for her because the people that she was killing in the past were evil but they were but she was still killing them but it's like no that's not how that works you know we were we were rooting for her because she was because she was winning and triumphing against all of these evil very evil tyrants you know who deserved everything that they got you know you you can't just turn that around all of a sudden and have this grand extravagant statement of, oh, you know, uh, evil always will beget evil sake, you know, and, and tyrants could only ever be replaced by other tyrants, not without kind of building that. Because another thing in order to bounce off your point is that you're 100% right where all of a sudden now we're expected to feel sympathy for the people of King's Landing where they are purposely being herded into the city and used as a shield against Daenerys because Cersei is trying to use the innocence of the common people as a way as as a as almost like as a, as a further test against Daenerys in order to in order to see just how far she'll go but it's almost like the show is trying to make the people it's trying to make the viewing audience forget that these are not exactly the most likable or savory people these are the same people group of people this is this is the same city that started a riot back in season two that had to be calmed down and cajoled by the tyrells and the massive amounts of grain that they were bringing into the city in seasons three and four then openly mocked and revolted against cersei in the streets when she was doing her walk of penance and then did the same thing when when euron brought uh yara and the sand snakes into the city not even a season ago like this is these are not like kind of the most springful innocent like oh, yeah. kind of they, they almost killed joffrey and they almost killed joffrey. Uh, you know assaulted sansa you know so like exactly. there, there's a lot of uh throughout the whole entire series that um because of the struggle over power you know king's landing has devolved into a really you know uh wild lands um of bad stuff you know and the fact is like you know uh, the battle between Cersei and Daenerys could have very well been like it's the two of them doing what's always been done, right? They're fighting over this place, 
but they're really just weaponizing and making the people terrible. And, you know, when Jon Snow, um, you know, I know we're jumping all over the place because this is a big battle uh, type of episode, but Jon Snow is in the thick of it, right? He's he's a, a infantryman. Uh, on the ground, and right. he sees not at all like not at all not at all like he was in the Long Night again. Very yeah. symbolically, you know, in the Long Night he was side by side with Daenerys, riding the dragons with her, and now again exactly. he's just another infantryman. But now he's himself. witnessing the aftermath of what's happening, really, uh, because right. of Daenerys. Um, you know, if he, it, I'm just suggesting that you 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 make Cersei just as responsible for the destruction of King's Landing by, you know, doing something like that, right. where she she weaponizes the people against Daenerys. Uh, it really harms her and affects her mentally. Kind of that's the breaking point. I guess I disagree with the fact that Masande uh, being right, murdered that, that Masande is and Ray the only are breaking the ones point. Are the only breaking point. Like there has to be more. Yeah. Like it has like, to be. Like it's that... yeah, because she goes down with the idea of destroying the city, right? You know, she's right. destroying the boats. She's destroying all the uh, you know spear guns. Um, you know, she's basically essentially perfectly fine with just taking out the military elements in the city right and then she's just like oh what the hell what the hell you just know. destroy everyone you know it's so, like, so and, and like well, we'll get to that once we actually get to the battle episode but but i actually wanted to bring up something that i haven't done in quite a while which is i wanted to actually bring it back to the books which is where the thing that again that the books were doing and why i actually did believe that martin did intend to have a dark turn for daenerys at some point is that kind of the seeds that benioff and weiss are attempting to set between last episode and this episode as far as these reasons they, these reasons that are going to provoke daenerys the seeds are already being set for that, where we left off in the books in A Dance of Dragons, um, when Daenerys is still in Marine and ruling Marine, you know, with like like I was talking about back in season five when we were covering that, you know, like I said, the fact that the Sons of the Harvey were striking much more so from the shadows, but there's also this pale mare virus. The city is under constant siege as well throughout the whole thing, you know, because like I said, because not only do you have the other slave cities that are laying siege, but also Karth is allied, has come back from season two and has allied with those slave cities and is laying siege. So Daenerys, the, the seeds for the Mad Queen are already being laid at that point in the books. But like I said, and this is another thing of, as to why I'll go back to season five as being problematic is because I do not think at all they did, they did a good job of starting to set that up. But, but at the time, that was understandable and forgivable because they also had a lot of other things that they were attempting to focus on. But like I said, season five, we've already talked about kind of what a lackluster season and kind of what a letdown that was. But in order to kind of add to a little bit of the fantasy book, and like I said, we'll get to a lot of the stuff that happens in the battle sequence later on. But kind of going back to the Varys point as well, I, so the, the, the moment when Tyrion, uh, you know, kind of sells out Varys to Daenerys, which, again, is a moment that he almost instantly regrets. But, again, it just, it's more further character betrayal for Tyrion because Tyrion, oh, uh, Tyrion obviously is between a rock and a hard place, but the whole impetus for, um, what's it called, for Tyrion selling out Varys is the fact that he sees Varys meeting with Jon and he immediately knows that what Varys is talking to Jon about once Jon arrives on Dragonstone, but also the fact that, so obviously in the beginning of the episode when ba when one of Varys' little spies comes to talk with him, um, she says that Daenerys has not been eating her food, which in my mind leads to the impetus that Varys has attempted to poison her and make it very easy for Jon to come in and uh, take over the throne and also try to erase any bloodshed as well uh, in King's Landing, you know? But... For me, I almost feel like a more interesting point would have been, so remember back in season five, we were fantasy booking and I talked about how, or sorry, not, not season five, but season six, how Varys just kind of magically disappears from Meereen right before the Masters carry out their attack. Mm -hmm. and how it would have been more interesting if Varys had almost been like kind of working with the Masters behind the scenes as a test for Daenerys. 
How much more interesting would it have been if that series of events had played out? Tyrion knew about that, but was kind of holding that in his back pocket um, for uh, – holding that in his back pocket as far as if Varys ever did anything out of line. And imagine if he brings that information to Daenerys, you know? Because at this point, it's almost like, I feel like Daenerys is almost waiting for somebody to betray her. <laughs> well, because it's, like, it's, the way that she's just so okay. easily matter of fact, it's like, oh, Varys betrayed me. What a surprise. You, you know, know? I, I, I like the idea that you're going back that far to uh, one of our kind of fantasy booking sessions and, and saying like, you know, hey, maybe Varys ran this test uh, it, it really is a betrayal of Daenerys, but, uh, you know, Tyrion and him conspire to keep it secret. And then that's really what leads to his execution here, because I was watching this episode and, you know, it's <laughs> like John tells Sansa, yeah. who tells Tyrion, who tells Varys and Varys can't handle the truth anymore. Right. Um, you know, and it, it's like that doesn't seem like really a legitimate reason to kill to kill Varys. Right. Right. You know. Why is it like an hour later when John's seeing all King's Landing people being slaughtered, he has an issue with it? But well, when, when Varys is burned alive in front of him, and again, amazing yeah, well, shot. Well, what does we she gotta, say? We gotta talk about the cinematography of this episode. Can, can, can we just talk about like, you know, hey, uh, John, uh, meet me up at the uh, you know stone at midnight. We're gonna burn Varys alive. Oh, what for? Right. Um, he just got there, like. I mean, like, obviously, Varys okay, Dar like, was the one that was pro that was broaching the idea to him, obviously, about him being king, kind of cluing him in the, to the fact that he knows. But yeah, uh, when, but when, it's like, come on, like you know, John's not going to sit there and pipe up and just be like, right. listen, yeah, he was going to tell people, but throw him in prison, stop. You right. know, let's we'll stop him from telling this. Well, that, well, that kind of brings um, me into again, kind of the problems that I have with John in this episode, where John starts out this episode of being intimidated by Daenerys but still is allied with her where again it's such a problem because again it's it's only been like what two days three days something a week not even well, since the long night we don't know how much time has passed since the long night and already he's gone for the gamut of oh I'm madly in love with her because we survived this thing and she brought her armies north and she saved us to now oh no I'm completely well, terrified I, I of think... her I have no idea what she's gonna do she's completely unpredictable like all of that in such a short in such a short period of time like I'm thinking that this is meant to be sort of a parallel to Ned Stark, like Ned Stark doing the honorable thing. And the honorable thing here is that, you know, she agreed to bring her armies north and fight the Night King and save humanity. And then he agreed to bend the knee and she's the queen. So he's under this sort of like Ned Stark delusion that, you know, he made this pact. He must hold it, you know. Um, even though like, you know, from previous experience with the Night's Watch, right, you know, it's essentially, uh, he had to do what's right there, but it got him killed. Um, you know, and he, he ultimately, when he was brought back to life, uh, felt like he was released from that oath. Right. So he's still under this thinking of like, you know, uh, that was an oath until death and I died. I got brought back. So that oath is now done. Uh, he's sort of in this honorable thing where he made a pact with Daenerys and now he's just going to put his head down. He's going to get her onto the Iron Throne and that's going to be no questions asked. Um, and with Varys being burned alive, like, you know, it, it's I, you don't even really see him questioning it. You know, you kind of see him like, well, you know, he disobeyed the queen, um, you know, which which is weird to me because it's all because a secret that he told got to right. Varys 
and she's upset because and, and what's you know, crazy Varys too is, might tell everybody. And what's crazy too is that so so Daenerys. So, and what's even crazier too, and this just shows like how gone Daenerys is apparently, is that Daenerys when she's talking to John later on, she's like, "You told Sansa, even though I begged you not to," and she told Tyrion, and like she's as much the reason that Varys is dead as I am. And it's like, but John's the one that told Sansa, so isn't it? It's you, that John killed Varys as much as you did, you know. Yeah. Sansa, well, you knew what I, I Sansa do, was I do gonna like, do. Sansa I has do, no emotional connection to Varys that way. I do like the scene between uh, Tyrion and Daenerys where it's like, "Someone's betrayed me." It was John, <laughs> wasn't it? And then Tyrion's like, "No, no, it's no, kind of Varys. Varys." And then she, yeah, then she goes, "Oh, even, even though it is yeah. John." Well, you told Varys, and then who told you, Sansa? Oh, yeah, and you didn't think she wanted you to tell Varys? And guess what? Who told Sansa? John. Yeah. So I was right. You know, like, yeah. uh, that was a cool scene. I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, just like Daenerys feeling betrayed by her lover, John, and, you know, how uh, she saw this coming. This is the whole reason why she asked. She doesn't even blame Varys at this point. Right. She's really blaming it's kind of John. Just an occupa- right. Varys is just an and- occupational hazard. This So this is a straight. So, but here's the thing. So if this is kind of like, so what, this is her extended, like get back at John and, and like, and like, so, so Varys was like, what a warning display for John almost essentially. I have no idea. And, and it, it, the main thing is like, you know, you remember like, uh, was it last season? I think it might've been last season, but like when, uh, Daenerys and Varys had that conversation of like, you know, if if I ever become a tyrant, I hope right. you uh, blah blah and there, blah. And, and, and again, that even happened you know. in last episode when she was going to attack the city, and Varys was like, "Okay, please don't burn that." You know, you ever you told me that if there was ever a time when I would, what, what's it called? Um, when when it came for me to for me to tell you that you were about to do something crazy to do it. Well, this is that. You know, and and now in the next episode, it immediately happens where again she and, and it's one of those things where it's like when they set that up last season, I was kind of able to figure out. I'm like, okay, so this is how Varys is gonna die by dragon fire. Oh yeah, you know, it's just, but but it, it's. It's almost like, you know, okay, it's it's good, John. Like, we made a pact, and, uh, you know, he said he would try to stop me. I said I would kill him. So, like, I'm... It's I'm all, he, it's all gravy. He, he's trying to kill... He's trying to stop me, so I'm going to kill me. him. Like, you know, and Varys is just sitting there like, well, she got a point, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we, we did make that pact. He just sits like, there and accepts his fate. Like, it's so weird how it plays out. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It's, I have so many problems because this episode in particular... Is trying to emulate so many previous instances, like you said, with, with Jon Snow really kind of taking on the Ned Stark honorable thing, even though he now is the perpetrator of all these events as opposed to Ned, who was kind of just reacting to this series of events that was happening. You have the assault on King's Landing, which is very, very much so meant to emulate the original when the Lannisters were taking the city, uh, were taking the city and ultimately betrayed Aerys Targaryen. Um, when he was when he was gonna burn down the city by wildfire, and the Lannister, and then Grandmaster Pycelle ordered the gates open for the Lannister soldiers, who then ultimately ended up sacking the city and and kind of brutally murdering it in kind of the same way that happens in this episode. That ended obviously in Jaime um, killing Eris in Mad King Eris in order to end the bloodshed, which again is kind of continued into next episode. Um, so there's a lot of that, but I think. The biggest thing that's missing is that all of those, again, played out like events that happened for a reason. And here it's building off a series of events that feel rushed, that feel like half-assed, that don't feel like well-built to or well-earned. Like the whole thing that was so amazing kind of about the Lannister twist um, and kind of Jamie's thing is, is a twofold thing. One, the fact that Tywin being the strategic genius that he was, 
was able to foresee that er that that Robert and Ned were winning the war ultimately. I don't remember uh, after the battle of the Trident and Robert killing Rhaegar. So that ultimately led to Tywin uh, kind of pulling the Walder Frey decision and real and kind of picking the winner at the last minute. And then as for Jamie killing Eris in order to end the war, not only was that self-preservation uh, because um, what's it called because Eris had ordered him to kill Tywin, but also because of the wildfire and everything. And he knew that killing Eris would ultimately spare what was left of the city and the le and what was left of obviously at the time his family. But here it's like, like I said, it it's the fact that Daenerys, oh no, her dragon died. Oh no, her closest advisor died. Oh no, she was betrayed by her lover. And so now everyone is going to die just out of nowhere. It's like, you know what? Like, it yeah, doesn't you really. Know, it, it's like, I'm not opposed to, like, I like the start of this episode, right? You know, yeah, it's, like, it's a great start. You sort of reveal Varys as, like, betraying her. And, uh, you know, she's going to make, you know, she makes a choice. And um, Tyrion has a tough time with it. You know, John, I have no idea. Like, he kind of seems to be going along with it. Um, you know, whatever. Um, we don't really get an emotion. I don't think, I don't really remember a re emotional response. He's kind of just there, you know, um, you know, but Tyrion has the whole thing where he like grabs his arm and, right. and pats him, you know, like, you know, slaps him on the buttocks. Like you had a good run kid. Um, <laughs> you know, like, um, so like, like the main thing is, uh, you know, there, there was emotional connection between the two of them. Uh, whereas like John doesn't even look at like look at Varys, look at Daenerys, and be like, "Man, this oh, is awkward." Man, this is weird. Um, yeah, so he, he's kind of along for the ride, as far as I remember. Um, but like the main thing is, um, I don't mind the whole idea that Daenerys is like cleaning up her ranks. You know, this is like that some something that is seen as a betrayal on the eve of war. Um, is a great opening to to this, right? You know, and um, it's also like she's getting, she's like eliminating the the sort of like tethers that are keeping her grounded, right? Um, you know, uh, basically uh, she's hanging out with a, a gray worm in this episode, and right. it's like the last of her uh, Essos advisors, who she who is almost yeah. she's almost kind of purposefully hanging out with him, knowing that he is the only one besides her that probably wants to kill every single person in that city more than her because obviously and, and, because of his emotional attachment to Miss Sand. I, I think and, and myself, I think like that's I said, really um, what helps this episode is because yeah. uh, she has got the best arc of the last couple of episodes. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, honestly. but she has she has essentially like the slave collar that Masande kept, um, you know, for some reason. And, uh, you know, now that she's dead, it's like this is one of her valuable possessions. It means she was free. And Grey Worm just grabs it and throws it in the fire. And, you know, it, it's it's like she's gone, you know, like um, and, it, you know, he's basically saying in that action, um, she's gone. You know, we got to stop reminiscing and we got to go out there and get revenge. You know what I mean? There's like this subtle subtext to like his action. Um and then it's interrupted, right? I forgot who walks in the room to to tell him it's like John, time that, to that, go. that's when that's when John walks in and that's when gotcha, they have the gotcha, moment gotcha. Where, that that's where they have the moment where she where he like she tries to kiss him, you know, she's talking about it's like, oh nobody loves me here, you know, everybody yeah. fears me. And then she tries to kiss John, John pulls away and she's like, Okay, fine, so let it be fear. And yeah, uh, so this is whole scene where it's like you know, she's she's like, you know, really falling into the same emotional spear that uh, Grey Worm's in 
Um, and really, yeah, it's, it's kind of an us versus them mentality. And, and so I, I, I like the start of this episode in terms of, you know, what's going on. There's tension amongst the ranks. She's, you know, really consolidating, like, you know, her power, uh, are like, you know, essentially she's consolidating by getting rid of a couple people so that she can justify what she's about to do. Um, you know, and, and it's almost like, is this whole thing in this episode premeditated or did it kind of come up as a whim? Because, um, definitely it seems premeditated. Like at this point, she like, she's so distraught about everything that she's lost personally since coming to Westeros that she just wants to burn it down. Yes, absolutely. And so with that being said, let's get to it. The actual battle itself. So obviously, like I said, first you have Tyrion freeing uh, Jamie after he's been captured. Um, what's called, you know, he, he, you know, he enlists Davos' help. He's like, look, I w- Davos was able to get a boat down there, get into the castle, get Cersei out of there, get to Pento, start a new life. You know, yeah. you know that but the ring the bells. Ring the bells. Okay, so you got to ring the bells. So everyone's got to ring the bells. So that's my question. So he makes his. He is like essentially begging oh Daenerys. God. He is begging Daenerys at this point. He's like, please. It's like at the very least, the common people do not deserve to suffer. You know, do, do yeah. again. You, your whole thing, Shmiel. I'm surprised he didn't bring up the wheel. You know, he's like, your whole thing since you have been getting yeah. here is breaking the wheel. If you kill the people, you are just another brutal tyrant. I'm surprised that he's not using that rhetoric at this point. But so my question is, do you think that she ever had any intention? Of asking him to do that, like, well, because, well, I mean, I'm assuming because the whole thing is that they were probably expected to win the battle before the bells even got rung. So when, mm. so her, his whole thing is, you know, if the bells are rung, then the then the battle is done. The Lannisters have surrendered. You know, you know, we can take the city by peace. Nobody else has to die. Do you think she ever had any intention of actually doing that? Of actually no, I, I, I don't think so. I, I just think the obsessive amount of times, like. Uh, remember when he's standing outside in uh, the walls of King's Landing and yeah. it's uh, John and um, I believe it was Grey Worm as well. And he's yeah, just, John, Grey Worm, Davos, they're all standing there. Like when yeah, he busts he, through the wall and destroys the Golden <laughs> Army in one fell swoop. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But he, I, I mean, he, he's, he's like, if you hear the bells, if you hear the bells, guys, like just stop it. Um, and and he's, he's promoting this to everybody and anyone that will listen, you know, even if they want, don't want to. Um, you know, Tyrion is is really beside himself because he knows what tragedy he's trying to avoid. Um, and he's kind of powerless to do it. Anything about it. You know, it's going to happen. Um, and he's I think he's in denial uh for this for the whole episode it wouldn't surprise like, me honestly it, 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 it's the only thing that makes sense about his character is the fact that he is the denial it's the fact that he let varus die knowing exactly what daenerys was going to do and he deluded himself into thinking that daenerys was not was actually going to not burn the city to a crisp you know so i i 100 buy into that and so i mean so we get to the, well, actual- the last thing that varus said to him is like i hope i, I hope, hope i'm wrong. wrong and it's like dude like I'm about to watch you get burned alive, and I know you're right. <laughs> it's like, I know you're right. Like you know, what I mean, again, like Tyrion's unwilling to do anything about it's it. It's almost Tyrion has realized, oh wow, I've been a moron for these last couple of years, and now I'm just in denial. And now I'm just trying to think, oh yeah, I made all of the right decisions here, you know. Even though, again, like I said, it was ultimately the writing that betrayed Tyrion. Well, but- I, you know, I, listen, this thread makes total sense because, you know, uh, Tyrion and Varys are kind of the advisors that are supposed to um, basically. Uh, stir you know steer uh daenerys in a certain direction um and they failed right you know daenerys kills one of them the other one is like afraid that he's next if he doesn't sort of get on board he's and then after a certain point he is next yeah he's pleading about the bells 
Um, and literally, you know, everyone has talked to John and it's like, yo, John, just be on the up and up. You're the only one that could stop this. Uh, and he's just like, no, 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 no. The honorable thing. Um, you know, so my queen. Yeah. The fact is like, you know, I, I think they set it up really well that because John has to take no action against her that things just sort of keeps, you know, spiraling out of control. Um, and, you know, the bells, what happens within this episode happens. And then obviously in the finale, we're going to get a little more extension of that story uh, where John kind of wises up and realizes, you know, a little too late that he's got to do something. So, yeah. um, like, I, 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 I understand, like, all the storytelling that's happening in season eight. Um, and I, I think, you know, I don't mind a lot of it and I, I sort of enjoy it, but like, um, you know, character motivations, like things seem very condensed and like, Hey, let's just do this to get it out of the way. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of like pacing issues with the story and the plot, um, that, that really it's like for us who, you know, uh, seemingly want more of these kind of like novel based, you know, experiences, but in TV form, um, you know, we're really not getting here. You know, it's, it's like cool action pieces, uh, but not quite the details or, or the sort of, um, roller coaster ride of a, a character emotion that we, we want. Which, like I said, once we get to the actual battle itself, like I said, it's so disheartening because again, just what some of the best action spectacle that we've ever gotten. It really took, like I said, I still remember like us talking about Blackwater back in the day, and just again, what a, what a technological marvel that was at the time when it came out. Ironically enough, it's been ten years since that episode aired on television this year. That episode aired in what was it? I think like April or May of 2012, and. This episode, by all means, is like kind of the, the, the come full circle moment of that episode where, again, you just have this technically brilliant that is just shot on the level of this blockbuster movie. You know, all of this carnage, all of this crazy action, this amazing CGI, but the storytelling for Blackwater still holds up just that much more and that much better, you know, where to the point where it's like, again, we're seeing Drogon burn through all of these ships and all these javelins, and it's like two things. One... What the hell happened with that last episode? Why didn't she just do that with the fleet last episode when they shot the dragon out of the sky? <laughs> well, so like, yeah, Rogan's all of a sudden well, well wrestling. Oh, we can do it now. And B, it's third like, time's a charm. You know, third Night time's King, a charm. Exactly. Night King throws the javelin. Uh, Euron gets one of the dragons, and then now not, she's not to learned. mention. And like, I get that. Like, the Golden Company has clearly again. They've only been mentioned like what maybe once or twice throughout the entire course of the show before the, them being set up in the previous season. Then they only had the one episode of being introduced in that first episode, and then we kind of just had three episodes of not seeing them. And now they're here, and the first minute we actually get to see them fight, they just get instantly eliminated, like well, almost, well, can, can almost you, hilariously. Here's something that's interesting to think about because. You know, Cersei, you know, put took out a loan from the Iron Bank, you know, in the crown's name. And then essentially they sent the Golden Company over. It gets destroyed. Um, now, you know, let's say there's a sequel show starring Jon Snow and it comes up. Is, is Bravos going to take like... 
you know, like build up another army and send it over to Westeros to kind of possible. get there. It's possible. Well, hey, who knows? They're maybe, gonna, maybe they're going to basically maybe brand the, the all seeing will be able to find find a way out of it. Yeah, but like you know that that to me is pretty interesting because like now you have a foreign enemy that's going to come over here, and uh, whatever this you know new form of government is, you know like the uh, it's like essentially the Westeros form of the Magna Carta. Um, you know, it, it's like uh, there is a king figure, but like there, there's a little more uh, control through you know uh, the other elites in the in the world. Um, but you're essentially going to have like this foreign invader that, you know, is, is pretty, um, you know, financially wealthy, uh, come in, uh, and see Westeros and some ashes and, and, and see what's, what's up. Um, I don't know. It, it just, it kind of dawned upon me as we were talking about the episode, just like how easily the Golan company got wiped out. Um, but that's, that's like right. a lot of money for that Cersei yeah, spent it's a lot. It's, it's also, uh, like I said, going down the drain. kind of a good point. Again, like, again, it's one of my other problems where, again, if this were setting up for another season, that plot point would actually be really interesting. But again, this is the last season. Things are supposed to be being wrapped up here. And again, just like, I'll still never get over the fact that, okay, there were only what? Uh, how? I mean, we know that there were some Dothraki survivors from the Long Night, but like, we saw most of them get wiped out by the dead, and now all of a sudden you have this giant line of them that's just charging at the city as 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 Harry Strickland is making that stupid face as he's trying to run away. Like again, that's another Beavis and Butthead moment right there, where as he's running away before <laughs> he gets speared in the back by Grey Worm, it's almost like the, it's almost like they were trying yeah. to tell him, okay, just make the dumbest face possible as you're trying to run away. He's like, I'm just glad um, that ridiculous. out of all the 90s references I brought up on this uh, podcast, that well, Fuse and Whitehead is the one that, because, like, that again, you love. It's like nothing else can, <laughs> makes, can make up for just these ridiculously immature moments that just happen in the middle of these seemingly like really awesome scenes. It's almost like Benioff and Weiss are trying to troll well, just the establishment. It, it, you know, it's, it's like all television, all movies, like it, it's a supposed to be a fun moment like you know look at this cheesy shot with the guy getting you know uh uh his just desserts you know it, it's kind of like we understand the gold company's uh cocky and um you know that they they've come over here to defeat our main characters our heroes um and they get decimated in record time you know so it, it's it's you know a counterpoint a, a juxtaposition of that that allows us to smirk a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So, like I said, we pretty much talked about the rest of the episode. We know how it goes, all the problems that kind of come with it. Um, but like I said, they 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 take the city very very easily, like all, almost with no problem. Actually, again, it's a I, I, it's a constant point that's brought up where in the last episode, Sansa was all like, "Oh, the Northmen, they're tired, they need to recover," and then they take the city with literally no problem. And it's like, wow, those Northerners are not at all tired. No, again, I I find it interesting where kind of even though Daenerys was moaning about how the rest of Westeros doesn't love her or respect her like that Northerners clearly do and they are clearly like ready for blood because they are just ready to dive tackle and kill as many of the King's Landing as they can and probably a combination of again just being uh, battle crazed and also like having this built up years of resentment towards the Lannisters for the amount of dishonor and crap that they took from them and now they finally have their chance to pay it back and forward but they take the city the bells are rung Daenerys is like, fuck it. Cersei doesn't get to win that easily. She, they, they, things break loose. She takes, she has the dragon take off. Grey Worm throws the spear. It turns into, it, it turns from a battle into just a slaughter fest. And I will say that, like, this is the most probably effective stretch of the episode where it just turns into an absolute like carnage fest. And I think they do a really, really great job of just kind of 
playing up kind of the insanity that comes from this type of battle when it becomes very one-sided. You know, like I said, the thing about it's the thing that I think Sapochnik what made Sapochnik's direction of Battle of the Bastards so effective. And I think he applies that really well here. But let's get to the last third of the episode and about how basically we, we, we essentially leave our main characters behind and don't really spend that much time with them. Like John, the only the rest of what John does in this episode is just kind of staring around and trying to stop his men well, from killing random citizens and all that. Yeah, like, I, I think John... Like a, John's story in this episode ends with like him in the middle of the carnage um, you know, essentially that, that scene where it's like Grey Worm um, and him, you know, the Northmen and the, you know, uh, uh, you know, Grey Worm's uh, troops. The Unsullied, yeah. The Unsullied. They're kind of staring down some Lannisters uh, who have thrown down their swords. Um, and then, you know, when Daenerys kind of starts popping off and burning people alive, uh, you know, the Unsullied move forward and start getting revenge. This is where that connection of like anger over Masande comes in and John is like, what the hell are you guys doing? These are unarmed guys. They've surrendered. Um, they just, you know, he's only defending himself at that point and he's trying to like pull his men back. He's, he's not having them engage. Um, and so he's trying to control the situation with a, a degree of honor, but realizes that these, they are foreign invaders um, and he's kind of helped lead them into the capital city uh, and and destroy the world that he's a part of. So, like, you know, I think he was kind of blinded by the whole Lannister Stark thing, um, you know, and the Night King and, and all this, you know, like how big the scope of events got that he really forgot that, you know, uh, Daenerys, you know, is a dangerous character and, and needs, you know, maybe a little bit of a check on her power. And this is the stuff that he must be contemplating while he's on there on the ground, seeing like women and children be burned alive. Um, and you know, Hey, listen, uh, his role of the episode is like, let's retreat. Let's get out of here. Uh, this is not who we are. Um, and it's going to basically it's left as a cliffhanger for him. What's going to happen in the uh, final episode? Right, and it would have been one thing if they, I think that that point right there would have been a really, really great spot to end. And I think it wouldn't have made up for all the faults of this episode, but it definitely would have, I think, made this made made I think a even better setup for the finale than it already was. As it was, we were already waiting to see like what was going to happen in the finale. Well, based off that, but with I the like problem every, is, I, I kind of like everything that comes afterwards. I, I know it's like it, it kind of is. Um... Well, the problem is we have to spend another 20 minutes just watching people just get brutally murdered in the city, which, again, is just not fun. And on top of that, we have to watch. Well, there, there's that stuff. But, you know, there's the, uh, you know, the Jamie and Euron fight. The Jamie-Euron um, fight, which is fun. It's oh, entertaining. That's a, that, that's, that's a good so ending to good. their arc. And, and Euron is great because, he, you know, he, he stabs Jamie in the side. Uh, and ultimately, you know, Jamie comes back and, and hits that golden arm into his throat. And he basically stabs Euron in the chest. And... Uh, Euron's just like, well, I got you too, Kingslayer. Uh, and then and he you know, dies J knowing that he's the man who killed yeah, Jamie Lannister. And, and Jamie runs away. It's perfect, Euron, right? Because it's like he's the guy that took down one of the dragons. He's the guy that took down Jamie Lannister. Right. He's the guy that you know. He knows uh, he's getting remembered in history, regardless yeah, of what. Yeah, and happened. he he just kind of piled up these accomplishments uh, and did not care about like his own safety, like. 
uh, you know, it, it's it reminds me of that movie Gattaca with Ethan Hawke and Good Uma movie. Thurman. Good movie. Yeah, and and Ethan Hawke at one point his character is like, I never saved anything for the swim back, and and that's almost like Euron. Like he's just all in. He's gonna be crazy. He's gonna try to you know accomplish these crazy things, um, and any given attempt is gonna lead to his death. You know, and he's he cheats death all the time. Uh, but he never leaves anything for the swim back. He, he is just who he is. And he relishes in his death the fact that he's, you know, cut up Jamie so much that there's no way he can survive, that he's the one that took down the great Kingslayer. Um, and and I, I just think Euron's character um, is definitely the, the best late addition to the show um, because it's just well played. Um, and it just offers interesting moments. Um, you know, so I, I really love that moment. Uh, I think the moment where, uh, Arya and the hound go into the thing and, and the yeah. hound, that, that is a great moment. I will say that like, yeah. even though so the, there's the, moments the game ball is out are, of place there, like oof. I said, there are some great moments that happen. The last moment between Arya and the hound, I think it's a fantastic final moment. It's a great cap off to their arc and everything they've been through together. Well, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, do you want to end up with me, a, a man so destroyed, but what happened to him as a child that he's walking into a tower to certain death. It's like, you go in there with me, you're going to die. Like, let your stuff go and walk out of here. Um, and, you know, I think that's a great art because she decides to walk out. She And she thanks him. Like, thank you for your insight. Um, and the rest of the episode, she doesn't really have that great of a time getting out. It's, right. it's, it's she, she almost died because... Multiple um, times. Yeah. And, and the fact is, it would have been certain if she went and continued into the Red Keep. Uh, but like just him sort of putting things in the perspective and telling her, like, you still have time to get out, barely saved her life. Yes, 100%. And that, that, those are good points. I will say that is that even though, like I said, that all the problems with the click game bowl aside and everything, like I said, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the arcs, uh, the arcs are well placed, the moments are good. But listen, listen, man, the click game bowl, like it was almost like they were just like, man, we just we need to get this in the show before it ended. You know, it's okay, literally it, the second to last episode. The, the thing that I couldn't take was that um, when when they finally got uh, the mountain's helmet off. Uh, he just looked like a, a mutated super virus to me. You know what I mean? So you know like he looked like I'm just realizing this now. He looked like something that the Ninja Turtles would have fought one of the '90s Ninja Turtles. No, no, no. It, 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 that's what I'm thinking. Like uh, uh, Secret of the Ooze, right? That's the second Turtles the movie. Ooze, yeah. Yeah. So it's basically it's super virus. It's almost like he had the ooze <laughs> splashed on him, and then you he became. The that on purpose? Made him look like that on purpose? I don't know, because I think it has to do with the fact that he's bald and he's zombified and he's kind of jacked. Um, he, he does look a lot like Varys. And, you know, for some reason, I appreciated the Clegane Bowl a little more because, you know, you had Varys get murdered in the beginning of the episode. And then here I am just like... You know, oh my God! This For no is... other reason other than he just happens to look like Varys. Yeah, and, no, and now it, you're so it's it, it's it's like he's su yeah, he's super Varys. Um, you know, and he's you know, uh, basically can't be killed. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's 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 
really funny to me. You know, I, I don't know. It's <laughs> for some reason I can't get over it. Um, and but the fight is actually, I think it was it was better than I remember. Like um, the fact that it's like. Yeah, I'll admit, I've never hated the Clegane Bowl fight. I, I thought it. I think I, it's I, in the I, wrong I spot, but I, I, I think the, the fight's spot, fun. But it does work. The, the fight is yeah. effective. So it's really just like fun. A- like it's it's just like this super zombie versus this, you know, uh, uh, broken man. Who, Again, an who, unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Yeah, but but this goes to the hounds, you know, uh, arc, right? You know, we had that episode, the broken man, and it's all about you know is the hound broken or not, and he chooses not to be broken, um, and you know, but at the end of the day. Uh, here he is going into the red keep to face his brother. Um, it kind of leaves you wondering, like, you know, he walked into his death. Did he finally give up? Uh, you know, was it, was it true? What happened? Um, you know, in that episode, right. Uh, was, was he can, truly can, broken? Can the broken man ever truly be fixed as we saw, like you, like you said, Ian McShane's character, father Ray chose to stay broken and, and died as a result of it. So exactly. It's a pretty so, interesting so, good turnaround there. Yeah. So I, I think it's one of those things. Cause you know, that whole moment with Arya, right. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, it's like, do you want to be broken like me? Yeah. Um, and you know, he it's almost in a strange line. way, kind of, kind of reminiscent of, even though I know you weren't a fan of this movie's ending, but it's kind of reminiscent of a lot of the things that I feel like 2020's promising young woman was trying to get across this idea of can somebody ever truly get over this trauma that, 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 that has been done maybe not to them per se, but to someone close to them, you know, obviously, you know, it's different, uh, kind of different strokes per se, but I, I feel like that movie kind of raises a lot of the similar questions oh, where it's like that movie, if no one has seen that in the, the talking thrones audience, like go, go watch promising Young woman. It's a, a fantastic movie. Like I, I, you know, yes, I, I did bring up some qualms with the ending, but, uh, uh, it's still good, you know, from start to finish. It, it's uh, it just could have ended a totally different way, but um, I, I think it still works. All right, uh, well, t- tomato, tomato there. So, like I said, so the w- two really moments left that I really just want to talk about before we get to our top ten list. It's going to end this episode. Jamie and Cersei dying. So Cersei breaking down and kind of realizing that, oh man, I brought all this upon us. You know, I want our baby to live. You know, all that is like <laughs> I want to survive, and it's like. I don't know. I just go back and forth all the time on that where it's like, you you brought this about. You could have stopped this. You could have found a way to survive. If survival was your only thought, there was a way to get around it. And I'm sorry, but the fact that you have deluded yourself into thinking that this was going to result in anything other than this, like, at, at the very least, yeah, Jamie's there with you. And I know that they're trying to do some spin on the Valonquar um prophecy from the books about her dying in the hands of her brother and then they're attempted to try and continue that spin here or okay jamie is hugging her as they're crushed to death but i don't know i just i i i don't think it's i don't think she she earns the crying ending where she uh, where she finally is understanding everything that she did as she's dying you know i i I just cersei like i said she doesn't strike me as that type of a character you know i feel like again just based off everything that she had gone through previously it felt like well, she's the type of character that would have accepted her fate and understood, okay, this is how it happens. And so the fact that she kind of breaks down crying emotionally, I'm not saying that it comes out of no, I'm not saying that it's undeserved, but I'm saying that it just, it, it, it doesn't feel well built to based off of what, everything that we've gone through with Cersei at this point. You know what I would have, what I, I, I think I would have enjoyed. Um, you know, we watched Cersei sort of looking on, seeing the city being destroyed um 
Jamie gets in the castle and he's looking for Cersei. Like obviously she has now started to, to, to leave. Um, and you know, we think that she's sort of like trapped, you know, and, and Jamie kind of stumbles upon her and like grabs her shoulder. And then it turns out that, you know, they are Kyber- no, no, Kyburn and, um, you know, uh, Cersei came up with a plan, uh, to have like an imposter, you know, like a, uh, uh, you know, basically, um, like a lot of high profile rulers do, they have a doppelganger. Right. So that, you know, it's it's like they're protected because you you don't know who's the real target. Right. And so like Jamie ends up dying with like a doppelganger of Cersei underground uh, and then Cersei escapes, you know, like why why can't you have Cersei as a villain uh, escape and, and like sail to Essos? Um, you know, it, her reign is over, uh, but she, like she didn't have to die. Right. She she could have sort of uh, lived in exile. I can only like, imagine like what a like twist Daenerys that would have been did. if you see Jamie, if you saw that that shot right of Cersei walking into the map room as it's crumbling around it, but it's from Jamie's perspective and Jamie crawls up and he turns it and he sees the woman and it's not Cersei. And next thing you know, everything yeah. crumbles on top. That would have been a really interesting yeah. But twist the, like there. like Jamie Jamie's whole thing would have been fruitless, um, you know, which would have been sad. Uh, Cersei would have sort of like. Uh, you know, to a certain degree, outsmarted Daenerys, but, uh, you know, she would end up in the spot Daenerys was in uh, at the beginning of the series. Um, and, and so she's, you know, sort of like an outcast. Uh, she doesn't have her, you know, title, her wealth, any of that stuff. She right. does have a claim to the throne. Um, and then, you know, the next episode, you could still have John and and company set things straight um, and get Daenerys out of the picture. Um, but you know, there's this whole, at the end of the series, um, you know, you know, you have one of the bad guys, uh, still at large in the world. Um, and, and who knows, you know, anything could happen, um, you know, uh, years after this series, like you could totally, she could be, you know, have that child, uh, the child could sort of go on a same Daenerys like quest. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's it's not something that you would ever show. You would ever have a spinoff or anything like that. Uh, but you could have totally just given us as the viewer uh, a little bit of breathing room to be like, you know what? You know, sometimes evil, no ma- you know, no matter what, kind of can get away with things. Uh, and right. you know, Cersei could have gotten which, away which with Which again, I feel like would have built into the kind of the point that Benioff and Weiss are trying to get across with these last couple episodes, which is kind of no matter what happens, no matter who try, like it's it's almost kind of fascinating how they almost kind of unexpectedly stumble upon this thing of where it's like, okay, we're gonna finally see this like triumphant arc complete, and then at the end of the day, it kind of just essentially resets and it's just more of the same, and like kind of essentially the cycle continues, the cycle of monotony kind of just continues, almost kind of like this really kind of interesting commentary but almost by accident that they stumble upon it it's really fascinating one last thing in order to end this episode Arya riding out on the horse and just like after she wakes up with the car it's like what is that supposed to be like listen i'll tell you i'll tell you exactly where that horse comes from where does it come from please enlighten me so dom i don't know if you watch these movies um but rob zombie did a little reboot of halloween oh my god and in the second rob zombie Halloween yeah, too? come on. I yeah, like that 100%. movie too. It's the worst part. Yeah, you know, the part where Michael Myers stares at his mother and the white horse. 
uh, for some reason. They're, they're like, I still have no idea what the purpose of that white horse was. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, Michael Myers taps into the forest, and he sees his mother and a white horse, and, you know, Obi, Obi-Wan's there, and, you know, I guess Arya's there, and it's it's... I don't know what is going on in that movie, but um, that, that's what the White Horse reminds me of. Look, just... Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is one of the most fun movie-watching experiences I had in all of oh, last dude. year. Uh, well, I, I don't know about last year. This is, this well, is the I old one. Well, I watched it last year. Oh, you it last watched year. it? Yeah, for, on the YouTube channel. I watched it for the channel. first time last the, year the for reaction, the YouTube channel yeah, for the yeah, Halloween. Yeah. Like I said, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense, and I, but it's Rob Zombie, and I loved every yeah, single minute uh, of it. Talking TV did the whole reaction series. I remember that yeah. now, yeah. Um, but like the the opening of Halloween 2 uh, with that hospital sequence that pays homage to the original, to Halloween, original 2. Halloween 2. Oh, that was so – I thought the whole movie was going to be two hours of that intensity. Yeah. Uh, and I was amped for it. And then it turns out it was a dream. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's a dream here. I, I think this is the white horse, um, you know, realized in Westeros, you know, just from the, the Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. So before we get out of here and before we do this next top 10 list, I just wanted to give a shout out to what, what I like to call some of the most ridiculously over-the-top deaths. Because, I mean, this this series has become known for its deaths and kind of, again, the, the deaths on the show kind of devolved from these really heartbreaking, unexpected, like, tragic, emotional twists to just kind of be these really extravagant, ridiculous, over-the-top, nonsensical things. And I think this episode kind of takes again. I mean, don't get me wrong. We'll get to some more ridiculous, nonsensical-looking shots that are only there to look good in the next episode. But so far, like I said, it's a four-way tie between Varys getting burned alive with Drogon's head slowly coming out of the shadows and then him slowly opening his mouth and you see the flame in there right before you see the perspective of Varys burning from everyone else around his corpse. Harry Strickland, whose entire army is eviscerated in one fell swoop when Drogon somehow, like, firebombs the wall. I'm so confused as to how that sequence happened where I thought that Drogon literally broke through the wall, but no, he just blows it up. And it goes off like a bomb, and he, then he just flies overhead. And then Harry Strickland turns, tries to run away from the horde of those rackets that's coming behind him in slow motion. They surpass him, and then he gets speared in the back by Grey Worm. That's two. Um, what's it called? Kyburn, which we almost forgot. Kyburn. Oh man! Yeah, no, no, I, I love that death because <laughs> it's one of the silliest things I've ever seen. Where he tries to get Sir Gregor to protect Cersei, and Sir Gregor finally, out of nowhere, just shoves his head against a, a, a rock, crushes it, and yeah. chucks him forward. You know, it, it's it, in terms of like they're just trying to kill people off as quickly as possible in this episode. But in terms of like what Kyburn deserved, that's the type of death he deserves. <laughs> so like, like I'm kind of okay with it because one third of the guy the death that he deserved. Well, he was so smug, and then you know, in everything, including creating you know Zombie Mountain. So like the fact that his own creation, which right. couldn't he couldn't possibly account for the fact that his brother would so enrage him that he would no longer be controllable. Controlled like that's by his master. like, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, he kind of, uh, he, he bit it, uh, based on his own experiment because he, he was too smart for his own good. Exactly. And the last one, of course, like I said, it's a little bit of a tie, the hound in the mountain going out together. Um, even though they're not <laughs> twins, you know, where... <laughs> They Jeez. beat each other to a pulp. The mountain almost does the hound, to the hound what he did to Oberyn, where he almost gouges out his eyes until the hound yeah. stabs him in the face and is able oh, to Oh, that was some great makeup, before, right? Because the, 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 yeah, the, the, totally the one eye the one eye, like I said, is totally destroyed. And the other one was like the this one dark blood. barely see before he charges forward, knocks him through the wall as the wall's 
combust around them, and they both you see the wide shot of them both falling into the into the giant flame yeah, listen, explosion below. Like this episode gets listen, the, the, gets the award for the most amount of over the top ridiculous deaths in one episode. The, the the hound was channeling his inner Rowan Reigns as he speared the mountain <laughs> out the tower. You I'm know. surprised he didn't turn into like cannonball from the X Men and just like let his farts like propel him <laughs> forward. Oh, uh, that's that's a comic character I am not familiar with. Uh, but, uh, it, his powers have always been confusing to me, where he can essentially create these energy bursts that like send him shooting forward. But th- the way that they, it always looked in the comics, it always looked like he was farting and just propelling himself forward. So <laughs> I, I think that's definitely geared towards some, uh, you know, how immature some young kids can get. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> but anyway, so before we get out of here. And just wrap up this ridiculous penultimate episode, which again, oh man, for this being the last one of these penultimate episodes, like I said, building off of a series of these, like I said, um, Baylor, Blackwater, Reigns of Castamere, Watchers on the Wall, Dance of Dragons, Battle of the Bastards, Beyond the Wall last season. Man, this one, man, this one had some ridiculous moments. But like I said, I'm just going to run through. Yeah, um, hey, listen, I, I enjoyed the bells a lot and, and. You know, the whole podcast, I've been saying, oh, the last time I watched through this, I just stopped at, you know, the long night. That was the end of the series for me. But, um, you know, it's it's like, okay, the, the story kind of tanks. Um, but you know what? There's, there's a lot of fun in these final episodes. And I think for, like, the big, you know, the big battle sequence to end this season, uh, The Bells is pretty good. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So, like I said, but we wrapped up last week's episode with um, what's it called with, with our top with our top ten favorite characters from the show. Uh, I'll be in a couple of technical difficulties, and now we're just gonna read through. We're gonna go through some of our favorite episodes. I've got a couple honorable mentions here. I've got. I originally had the long night in there, but that was mostly just kind of a guilty pleasure. I, I can't, in good faith, have it there. So I replace it with the spoils of war. Uh, from season seven. So my honorable mentions are the spoils of war, the red woman, the wars to come, the dance of dragons, a golden crown from season one, the laws of gods and men, breaker of chains, the broken man, the mountain, and the viper mockingbird, the climb walk of punishment, oath keeper Misa, what is dead may never die. And the battle of the bastards. And then my top 10 favorite episodes of this show, after having completed the show in its entirety, for the second time, surprisingly enough, I've been through the show a couple times, but I never watched it through in its entirety, one through eight, until this rewatch that we did. And I can safely say that my 10 favorite episodes are, I'm not going to like go to my reason, I'm just going to kind of like give the description. So my number 10 is The Queen's Justice, or famously the episode last season where that where uh, John met Daenerys and Cersei had that great sequence where she was torturing Ilaria. My number nine is Baylor, the episode where poor Ned Stark lost his head way back in season one. My number eight is The Children, the finale of season four, uh, where Tyrion kills Tywin and Daenerys blocks away the dragons in the crypts and Jon meets Stannis for the first time. My number seven is Hardhome. No explanation needed there. My number six is The Lion and the Rose, where we saw Joffrey meet his demise at his own wedding. Uh, My number five is Blackwater, the first major battle sequence of the show. My number four is Kissed by Fire, the midpoint of season three, which had Jon and Egret's steamy cave sex scene, as well as Jaime (laughs) admitting to Brienne. Uh, the reason for why he killed Mad King Aerys Targaryen, Beric Dondarrion's fight with to the death with the Hound, along with a lot of other great scenes. My number three is The Reigns of Castamere, The Red Wedding. My number two is The Winds of Winter, the finale of season six. And my number one 
my favorite episode of the show. Still to this day, the watch was on the wall. The, pe- the penultimate for season four where John lost Egret and the Night's Watch had to defend the wall against the Wildlings. That's still to me just one of the best episodes of the entire show. But my favorite of the entire show. So, Pat, you got any episodes you want to give a shout out to before you get out of here? Hey, listen, I, I just have one, right? You know, and, and remind me, what was the one with Ed Sheeran in it? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, I swear no. to God. <laughs> this is I'm all done. you. It's, it's, I'm done with Ed Sheeran. For, for me, it's, it's, I don't know, it's really difficult. I just enjoyed the show. You're like, you know, it's one of those things where, like. Well, I was just thinking of, like, stand-up episodes, like, amongst the show. Like, what are some of the moments that, like, moments, some of the episodes that, like, we really enjoy? Like, if I was just going to pick one of these episodes to just yeah, watch. But like, it's it's kind of like, you know, I just, like, I, I don't like putting things in, in lists because it's the whole idea of, like, oh, this one's better than the other. That, you know, all that, that kind of, like, nauseates me. It's like. There's a lot of good episodes. You, there, you know, you are. Have, there are. There's a lot of good episodes. I had like 20 like, honorable mentions. All the battle episodes. So you got, you know, Blackwater. You got um, the Battle of the Bastards. You already mentioned Hard Home. Watchers uh, on the Wall. You know, yeah, the Watchers on the Wall. Like, you know, uh, the Long Night, the Bells. Like, those are good episodes. Like, you know, I, I didn't tune into the Bells to see, um, you know, this amazing arc of Daenerys snapping. I just turned in because it's a fun action sequence. You know, it's an hour and a half of just stuff happening. It's crazy. It's well produced. You know, like, you know, the story is, is kind of what we have issue with. Um, but like, other than that, it's, it's kind of a fun popcorn type episode. Um, so th- there's a lot of episodes and I, I don't want to just say like, Oh, I loved all the action. Um, but I did, you know, it's like whenever they did one of those action set pieces, um, they were enjoyable episodes. Um, you know, you have, but you have stuff like the red wedding, you know, you have stuff like Joffrey's wedding. Um, those are some great episodes where, uh, some more of the treachery and, you know, spy craft and all that stuff is taking place. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's been a long ride. Uh, I I've enjoyed, uh, rewatching the series and, and seeing things that I, I totally forgot about, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's great. So I know you love the top ten list. I do. Um, I really I, do. I, I'm totally not into that realm, but uh, uh, there's a lot of great episodes, and um, you know, it's it's the show is worth watching. Um, you know, and uh, it's like I'm probably gonna take a break, right? I, I've, I've, yeah. This is my third go through. times. Yeah, third go through through the series, so I think I'm good for a while. You know, it's a, uh, uh, you know, I, I usually I usually go through a series once. Same. Um, the, the the thing that kind of for me was reaffirmed by this rewatch was just the fact that so problematic as the ending was for me, I know a lot of people said, "Oh, I'll never go back and watch the show again." I'm, I'm like, okay, pump the brakes there. It's not a deal breaker for me. The the it's a thing of where it, it's kind of me reaffirming what it is that I said originally, which is that the 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 ending seasons problematic as they are story-wise are not enough to ruin the show for me the way that certain other final seasons are because as much bad as there is in the in this last season in particular there's still a lot of good here there's still a lot of awesome stuff here like you were pointing out all of those story beats and points are still entertaining even if they don't feel well built to a well-established and i just realized that before we got out of here i missed one more ridiculous over-the-top death that happened in this episode in addition to the four that i just mentioned how could i forget the dude who goes out on top you're on himself who literally gets stabbed gets impaled not even just stabbed impaled by a sword on a rock and is still trying to like some with, with, with the hilt 
and is still somehow trying to like free himself from it as he's dying yeah. and as he kind of proclaims, "Oh, I'm the man who killed Jamie Lannister." I've, I've I, almost I, I think that's that. a good callback, Dom, because you know, come on, you're on. Uh, and his scene, out of all the the scenes that are piled up on this episode, um, it's like, what, an hour and 10 minutes in? And, you know, here comes like a, a very fun, like, uh, almost like Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, it uh, really does. Sword fighting sequence between Jamie and Euron. And I, I, I don't know, I, I, I like it. You know, watching it this time around, I'm totally down. Um uh, you know, for, for Jamie having him as his like final fight. Yeah, I agree. So with that being said, Oh man, I don't even want to end this the regular way. Like I said, one more episode, people. That's all I'm going to say. One more episode. Tune in next week for the final episode of talking thrones, where we cover the series finale, the iron throne, Patrick, it's been a blast, man. It really, really has. Where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Hey, uh, at this point, just uh, Instagram, at Patrick W. Huber. Uh, that's my handle. And uh, see some of the things that I post there. Of course. And at Movie Nerd Reviews, at Official Talking TV Podcast. I'm not going to go through all the rest because, like I said, I just want you guys to just sit there with as much tension brimming for the final episode as we were going into the final episode three years ago when it first aired. So only one more, people. We'll see you guys next week watch more fucking movies.